Welcome to Outspoken Voices, a podcast by and for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer parents, people with LGBTQ parents, future parents, and everyone else who is part of our family journeys. I'm your host, Emily McGranahan, and I am the Director of Family Engagement with Family Equality Council. Want to know one of my least favorite questions? So who's the real mom? Is your relationship with your bio mom different from your non-bio mom? Throughout my life, people have really liked these questions, and I, I didn't. Biology just doesn't mean as much to me as it does to other people. And for many LGBTQ families, that's really the truth. Queer people have had to create and recreate family for a very long time. The meaning has changed, and biology doesn't always play a big role or a role at all. All the same, the experiences of people whose families are a mixture of biological and non-bio ties are complex. So with me today to talk about non-gestational and non-bio parenting is Caden Rushford and Susie Lupert. Susie is the Executive Director of the American Camp Association, New York and New Jersey. Susie spends her free time volunteering at the Survival Center in Northampton, Mass., and playing guitar. Susie lives in Western Massachusetts with her wife and two children. Caden is a trans person and a lucky father of three incredible humans, ages four, six, and six months. He lives with his wife and kids in Massachusetts. So welcome both. Thank you. Thank you. So to get us started, would you just introduce yourselves and say who is in your family and how was it formed? My name is Susie, and um, my family consists of myself and my wife, Beth, and our two boys, uh, a three-year-old and a nine-year-old. My partner and I have been together for almost 20 years, so we had a long stretch of time in our in our lives, forming our own family with friends and, and other people, and then um, and then had two children over the course of the last decade. Uh, my name is Caden, and I uh, my family consists of uh, my partner and wife, uh, who uh, really wanted to have a lot of children <laughs> for her entire life, which was not my experience, but now. Um, we are together, and we are raising a, a four-year-old, a six-year-old, um, who ha- and the way that they came to be was a, a, what we thought was the way queer couples have children. We used a, a, an anonymous donor through a sperm bank in California, um, and then our third child, because we were going for three, we decided to... Um, break that mold and we use a known donor of Mm. well now we're friends (laughs) six you know 18 months later in that adventure we're 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 definitely friends now and um but that's a different way that we Mm. sort of have our our third uh child a little girl named cleo who is just six months yeah uh what uh what is one of your favorite things to do as a family i love learning a little bit more Mm. about families (laughs) <laughs> I know I was thinking about this this morning and I'm like besides trying to just get them dressed and out the door and <laughs> not screaming at each other um I mean we're we're really one of the reasons that we live in western mass is to be outside and take advantage of that so we're big into hiking um and we're also we're Brooklynites at heart we lived in Brooklyn for over 20 years so we are determined to just take long walks wherever we need to go (laughs) and to try not to be um you know just to try to be outside as much as possible and those walks and hikes and and the experiences that we have outside it is kind of extraordinary the way that our family changes as we're outside Mm -hmm. and 
relaxed and as you're walking and being able to just talk and share, it's a very different experience for us than being in the house. Mm -hmm. I find that uh, I enjoy moments between like three minutes and six minute long intervals where all everything kind of comes together and I can breathe and be like, wow, this is amazing. I'm having a great time. And often that's outside. Yeah. Um, I definitely agree with that. But we do um, we do things I never thought I would do, like go to Great Wolf Lodge mm -hmm. and <laughs> enjoy swimming. We do a lot of swimming and uh, time at the beach. So it's usually uh, we have two very active older kids. When everyone can do something that's relatively the same and enjoy it, um, that that's really when I think we're all uh, in a pretty good place. So how and why did you decide to become a parent? Susie, you mentioned that you and your wife were together for a long time yeah. before. So what what made you decide to become a parent? Yeah, I it, that question was, it, you know, that's a, it's, a, it's a hard question to answer because mm -hmm. when we decided to have our first child which was now over a decade ago it, we didn't know as many I feel like now we know a lot of families who are having a lot of queer families who are having children and at that time none of our friends were doing that um, we didn't had a lot of friends who weren't even in couples we were like in our late 20s it wasn't um, it didn't it wasn't a, very much a part of our lives and so I really don't I don't remember a lot of it except that we were kind of like turning 30 and felt like it would be, it, it just felt like, what if we tried to do this? For me, I never thought I was going to have children um, growing up. It never occurred to me. Um, I think because I was queer at such a young age, but didn't know what that meant. And so I just assumed I would just never have kids because I just would never, I don't know, just mm -hmm. be having anything. It, so I think for me, it was about or for us, it was about getting to a point in our lives where we had been together for a long time and it just felt like an adventure that we wanted to try to take. I relate a lot to that story. I was definitely aware of being queer as a very young. My earliest memories yeah. are, oh, that's that's what I am. Mm. And that means I won't get married and that means I won't have children, but that's fine. I'll be happy mm -hmm. being who I am as an individual in the world. Yeah. And I anticipated... If I would have children, it would be because I was with someone who already had a child. I expect mm -hmm. I my life story that I told myself was I will be an amazing step parent, not um, a non gestational sort of parent from the start. Mm -hmm. So um, but I love my partner tremendously and the vision that she has for the world I could have had, but it wasn't one that I felt. Uh, was open to me mm -hmm. so it wasn't like I don't want kids it was like I didn't know how to want kids yeah. um, mm -hmm. it's actually I'm surprised a little emotional to think about that but mm. I definitely uh, related to your to your concept of like oh that's not going to be me yeah like I always just assumed I would adopt and I was like yeah, oh I'm I'll just adopt children mm -hmm. yeah even my own mom shares her stories of coming out in the 70s that was sort of what she had in mind, like by coming out and by being out, she was letting go of becoming a parent. Um, did either of you really, when talking with your partner and really deciding that this was something that you were going to do, did you consider multiple paths to parenthood or like how did you decide that uh, having one of like having one partner carry pregnancy was going to be the way you were going to go? Mm. 
I mean, I definitely knew I was I was never going to carry a baby, and I had no interest in that, and I still don't. Totally So agree. it was a little <laughs> bit like I was lucky enough that my partner was totally willing and didn't mind at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but I we do we do always look back on it because we know plenty of people who one person is perfectly willing, and then they're not able to, and they're like, well, great, we have another uterus, so let's try somebody else. And I have to say, if it hadn't worked with her I still would have never gotten pregnant so then I think that some other routes we would have discussed but we were lucky enough that she was able to get pregnant fairly quickly I was not gonna make use of all of the uh biological abilities that I that I there was just no there was no way I do know um actually a couple trans guys who birthed their children Mm -hmm. um and gender queer gender variant um friends of mine are now pregnant and that is awesome to see Mm -hmm. um and i again i don't know if i had been exposed to those things earlier Mm -hmm. um i don't know if that would have changed uh, my life course but definitely given the experiences that i've had i was not gonna carry so we would have Mm -hmm. explored other other options um and did again with the third with the third kid, we thought about it differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so great. So, was biological connection then important to you, or important to your partners who did carry? Was that something that came up when sort of deciding the route, or did that just feel right to people because they wanted to carry and have that experience, or how did that kind of come about? Yeah, I, I mean, I have to say for me, because I really never had any interest in carrying, I really didn't have any, not that I didn't have a right to care about the bio part, but it wasn't, I really didn't care. Like, I, mm-hmm. I mean it. And I, and even a decade later, I really don't care. It, it's not, it's not part of, it's, it's something we talk about. It's part of our family story. It's part of our narrative. Mm-hmm. And it, and I think what we've tried to instill in the kids is that you we all get to we're we're lucky that we live in this world where we get to choose how we want to create our families and that you have this unique experience and it has zero bearing on how much we love each other and how we care for each other Mm -hmm. and I never made I never wanted it to be an option for myself so I had to reckon very early with the fact that I wasn't going to be biologically related to these kids and I would love them to death anyway, mm-hmm. and they would have the same problems with me that they're <laughs> going to have <laughs> as they grow up. It, to me, it was not, I like didn't even look at the donors that we found online. I mean, mm-hmm. actually, I should say one difference was that um, to, both my wife and I are both biracial, and so we did talk about finding um, a Filipino donor, mm-hmm. of which there are 12 (laughs) which i was like great like if we're gonna go through a a converging Mm -hmm. um step let's do that so we narrowed so that ethnic connection to my mother's lineage did appeal to me i don't know that i would have made it a must-have on the list but Mm -hmm. uh so we did think about sort of race and ethnicity um in our selection and genetically, I sometimes feel lucky that they don't carry some of my family stuff because, like, the, 
when they are a certain way that is similar to my wife or her family, I love being able to be like, that's you. <laughs> <laughs> like that thing that just happened oh, 100%. is 100% yeah. you, yeah. Um, yeah. not me, yeah. and maybe the internet, but <laughs> definitely you. And so that, I guess, I, yeah, I guess I don't really care. And I think it relates a little bit to um, feeling like, like as a trans person, I don't know what it's like to be biologically mm-hmm. male, but I consider with my hormone balance to be pretty, um, even if it's synthetic, biologically male. Mm-hmm. And so I have a very gray relationship with sort of what's biology really and mm-hmm. what's genetic really. So mm. maybe that helps. Yeah. yeah. And I feel like it's only been recently with our nine and these like nine and a half now that maybe in the last year he's starting to really understand what that biological connection is or isn't and Mm -hmm. really what it means that he has this donor. It's been like the last year, I would say. I don't think even when he was six that there was any way I was talking to him the way that we talk about it now where literally we'll just be walking to school and out of nowhere he'll you know ask me a question mm-hmm. um about it and uh that wasn't happening even a year ago yeah I think so I, I think developmentally it's starting to be more in his mind I think going to school had something to do with it for me because I started asking I have a sperm donor mm-hmm. and so I started asking my mom about that probably six five six or so mm-hmm. and I think school probably had something to do with that people asking me Where's your dad? Do you have a dad? Mm. I think when people started asking me, I started asking my parents. I think that really is when it, it kind of happened for my family. We have talked about words and like talking about our families with our kids. Do what do you use like to use terms or do you use terms like non gestational or non bio? Like right away, just that just that term starts with non. Mm. You know, it starts right. with that negative. It's funny. I've never used those terms. Descri- mm. I would never use those terms to describe my family mm-hmm. or to describe my family to somebody. It would never even occur to me. Yeah. I mean, it's the same with that kind of term with non-biological. Like, I've just, I never faced those terms really until other people have foisted it upon me. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, right. Yeah, I guess that's what I am. But I, mm-hmm. I haven't luckily had to have many experiences where that's been a part of my part of my life I I do I really relate with that too of when I talk about my family I talk about like or growing up especially my mom's going into those specifics of like you know where you who exactly like right like gave birth to me didn't feel relevant because the day-to-day of who was putting me to bed and who was disciplining me or you know signing my permission slips eventually Mm -hmm. you know all of that was like both of them like that's just that's what my parents did and it's different than from other moments where having terms has felt so important to me. Like the first time I heard the word queer spawn to identify someone who has LGBTQ <laughs> parents, for me, that felt right. Like mm. that was really empowering. It was a word that made me feel like part of a community mm. Vers- like versus other words that sometimes can be really powerful and meaningful to finally be like, yeah, that's me. Yes. Somebody yeah. else. Like there's a word for what I am yes. versus t- sometimes it seems like having a certain word is like, pigeonholing or or adding an additional label that is not relevant in the day-to-day lives of families that's right and those are how those terms feel to me Mm. like how is that relevant to anything I did this morning to get my kids to school Mm -hmm. the fact that I'm not actually biologically 
a part of their DNA right. had no bearing on who my kids woke up, who made them breakfast, how we got them in the car finally, like mm-hmm. how we got them dressed. Like none of that had anything to do with our daily. It never, it, it's, that's never been a part of our daily lives, I guess. Mm-hmm. I think the language is just very limited. Yes. Mm-hmm. There aren't enough labels to choose from, I, I don't think. Because I would never say that I'm not biologically parenting them or I'm not their bio parent or their non just you know, luck I sort of fit in that world nobody thinks that anyway mm-hmm. um, about me when thinking about a donor you mentioned that for you having some sort of a similar like personal tie or personal um, relation you know connection to that was important could you talk some more about that or, or Susie did mm-hmm. you experience anything similar to that when choosing a, or thinking about a donor mm-hmm. I think it was about honestly paying some sort of tribute to like an ethnic lineage that I have. It Mm -hmm. was really, it was not necessarily about my current life as it was about like, Mm -hmm. if I, if we were to create children together, this is what they would look like. There's something about that that helps it fit sort of with the world that we interact with. Mm -hmm. So if we're, out in the world and I'm like these are my kids people are like oh yeah those are your kids um, and that's a different experience than I had as a biracial person growing up with a white parent mm. um, because my white parent was not always easily identified as mm. my parent mm. and I remember being like who's your dad that one which one that one <laughs> which one <laughs> that one <laughs> like the whitest white person over there that's my dad and that that I had that experience growing up where my mother and I look we look like we're a family so when we go out it's just you're a family and we're perceived to be a family and I knew what it was like to to not have that fully and so maybe it was subconsciously in my head mm-hmm. to be like okay if they're sort of you know it's kind of like you and kind of like me enough it'll be blurry enough for the world to not project their weird stuff, um, which is something I don't want my children to have. I, I carry that mm-hmm. burden for sure as a queer person in the like 80s and 90s where I got all of that, um, and I don't want them to have that. So it might have been subconsciously just wanting to make it a little bit easier mm-hmm. to be seen as a, a unit. Yep. Um, We've discussed donors and like, but really more the biology of like, you just need a sperm and an egg and a uterus and right. that's all you need. Not um, sort of the person, you know. That there's I know a person it, behind it. It is a person. Yeah. We talk about that. When did you start telling that family story with your kids? Yeah. And I think similar to what you mentioned before, Emily, about when you were able to start asking those questions, you know, when you come home from school for the first time and you realize that some kids have a daddy and some kids don't and so, you know, all that stuff that... We had to start forming our own narrative around how we wanted our kids to talk about it and what mm-hmm. what we felt what we felt comfortable with as parents and what we wanted to you know instill in in them to be able to to talk fluently about it. But it, I, I think for us it does it did start at least for our older son pretty young you know mm-hmm. where we were able to and I think similar to what Caden said about just like well there's a, you know you want to start talking about just that there's a sperm and a uterus and this is how babies are made and blah 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 yeah. and that we and that I don't have sperm and so we had to mm-hmm. find somebody to help us and there's this person out there and they're called a the donor and um and I think 
he he really understands that narrative um and i've even heard him in the back seat talking to his friends and they ask about his dad and he's like i don't have a dad you you know what are you talking about i've got two moms like there's a donor and you know he like he's he's able now to be able to explain it pretty fluently and without um at least at this age must much angst Mm -hmm. we'll see how that if that changes but oh the angst is coming yeah (laughs) i don't doubt it uh we started we talk about it like uh we we have talked about it with them or Mm -hmm. Actually, we don't talk about it with them. It like fragments of conversations occur mm-hmm. where we just state that truth. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but the conversations are very choppy and like mm-hmm. one one line. Oh, yeah. No, you have a donor. We used a donor. Oh, I don't have sperm. You need sperm to make a baby and I don't have that. So we got some mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and Cleo's is different. We got a different one for Cleo. And so we use that language and then it's like on to the next thing. And then Mm -hmm. it's like three days later, another 30 second (laughs) sort of blurb about it. But it has not coalesced into a conversation. Mm. Um, Our six year old is uh, definitely on the trans or gender variant scale. Um, And I'll use they for for them in this conversation. and they said to me that so they describe themselves as a not girl, hmm. which is different mm-hmm. from me, mm-hmm. even though I'm like, oh, is that like me? And they're like, I'm not like you. <laughs> and I'm like, OK, that could mean I am not 40 years old. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, I'm not an old person. I'm not, I'm not an old person um, who works on a computer all day. Right. Like It could mean a million different things. Yeah. But they say I'm not like you and I'm like okay so how would you describe how you feel about mm-hmm. your gender or whatever and they'll like I'm a not girl I'm like okay and then we sort of have identified in the world other not girls uh, what they said to me recently which was fascinating was along the not girl identity um, <laughs> as my wife was pregnant with uh, the third baby they were like so when I grew up I'm going to find another mom and that mom's going to have my baby. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was that like, could be. Could be. Yeah. That's, that's, you solved it. <laughs> you know, case closed. Now we all know how your family's going to yeah. come together. But it was a moment when they were like, that's, that's mm-hmm. how I'm going to be. That's how I'm going to be a parent. I'll be a parent because the other not girl will have the baby. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you just go find that person (laughs) who will do that amazing thing for you. (laughs) So I I don't know. So those, the, that's how I see the conversation sort of, Mm -hmm. it goes in and out of like biology and transgendered realities and Mm. parenting and all of that is all kind of one big soup. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I would definitely say like we take our kids lead on the conversations. Mm -hmm. It ebbs and flows. Yeah, I felt really, I am very lucky that both of my parents were very supportive of my questions about my donor and then wanting, they knew I wanted to contact my donor and we talked about that. Mm. When we would talk about it, we were all on board and I could see other people being like, oh, well, how is Nancy going to feel about that? And I'm like, well, fine, because Nancy's still my mom (laughs) and this donor is still my donor and... And even within the LGBTQ community, I've gotten comments of like, wow, 
you know, to not know who your your parents are. And I'm like, no, I know who my parents are. (laughs) They are my moms. Mm -hmm. This is a different thing. Mm -hmm. And so it tends to be from people outside of my family. Thankfully, I had two moms who could could be comfortable and me expressing that like no 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 I'm gonna do this like I turned 18 and on my birthday I had printed out my letter Mm -hmm. that I had to send to the clinic and we got it notarized and it was sent like that day like that was I was highly motivated yeah and because we were able to talk about it because they were open about talking about it I never got the perception that that drive of mine was a threat to them or that they perceived that as me needing to you know find my real self or Mm. find out about my true family you know anything like that because that's not what it was for me so we're able to talk about it Mm. yeah yeah it doesn't feel threatening to me at all I would Mm. I understand the curiosity of wanting to know where you come from it would be important to me so Mm -hmm. it would it felt it feels natural I this isn't something I have a hang-up about I have plenty Mm -hmm. of hang-ups in my life but like (laughs) this just isn't this just isn't one of them and I don't know I, I could see it very early. Like I, when I talked to new parents about it and even like, even when I was talking to this friend recently whose wife is pregnant and very, and it's their first baby and it's very early on and she's a little bit stressed about like what that relationship is going to be like for herself. And without being condescending, I want to just be like, none of that will matter the first time that like you're up at four in the morning mm-hmm. and parenting and like mm-hmm. doing it. It just doesn't, that stuff really does disappear. And those anxieties about whether your baby is going to love you or connect with you because you're not biologically related. I I have yet to experience with all of the queer people that I know that that's an issue. Mm-hmm. I think it can be when the baby's very, very young. If one person maybe is breastfeeding for a long time or there's some, you know, maybe stress around that where you're not able to get as much bonding time with an infant. Um, but that's a very short period of time. And then you have the rest of your life yeah. to deal with those kids. I was just going to say that somebody is helping that person who's breastfeeding. That's right. As well. And That's so like right. that that role of right now thinking of our 6-month-old and my wife as like they are a like they are a unit. Like they are we are really a family of four. It's like one and a half plus the rest of us and that mm-hmm. is very real and that is my role is to try to help them have as comfortable an experience in the middle of the night. And if that means I'm doing stuff in the middle of the night, fine. But if that means actually all I'm doing is passing a pillow, Mm -hmm. fine. Like I sort of follow their, follow their lead. Kane, do you have any final thoughts or anything you'd want to share for, you know, other, someone who's maybe listening that is starting the journey, new to the journey or, or deeply in it and just like wants that community feel? No, I definitely think finding other people, Mm who you can relate to, who are experiencing something is, is essential, mm-hmm. especially if you're not the way your family is created is created is reflected all around you. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I no, I definitely, we, um, I think we just did a baby class, but that was it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But I would have liked, I, there's a trans, um, guy group that happens to have other parents in it and it became, I started actually calling it the trans dads group, mm. even though it's not. Yeah. It just, there are other dads in that group. And so it ran its course. Um, but that was awesome just to get pizza and beer with yeah. other people who had young kids mm-hmm. um, and had formed families in similar ways and other guys that wanted to. Um, 
even though we talked about a whole host of things. It was yeah. just that just being there was like literally just having a beer and pizza and not talking about it. But mm-hmm. being around them was 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 very nice. Yeah. I could put a plug in for family week because that's amazing. Do. Family <laughs> week is amazing. <laughs> um, and we've gone for. Um, I guess officially for like three years and we're going again this summer and that's uh, for us a time for the kids to be around predominantly gay people and then children mm-hmm. yeah we went to the first time last year and we'll be back this year yeah cool yeah, we'll be there amazing. too yeah no I just thought I think it's to me it's it normalizes mm-hmm. uh, the other 51 weeks out of the year even though we are in a very sort of queer community group like we have very close friends most of our close friends have children um most of them are women and that's our kids are exposed to that Mm -hmm. but it's not enough it's not the same as an immersive sort of week where queer culture is the dominant culture Mm -hmm. um, and all of the children there are experiencing similar things with their parents being queer so I, i love it i wish everybody could live in a state that had mm-hmm. a family week yeah mm-hmm. i loved i went to family week for the first time when i was 13 with my moms and it was amazing mm-hmm. and now i get to plan it you know <laughs> in, in part and so clearly uh, it's very important to me and it was very meaningful for me but yeah it was sort of that queer booster shot that got me through the rest of the year uh, because great. i got a whole lot of what i needed all at once and it could keep could keep going and some of those relationships could keep going throughout the year mm-hmm. well this has been so fantastic <laughs> that I totally lost track of time. So I'm so I'm so appreciative that you stayed and, and, and talked with me. And thank you both so much for joining in for me today and for having this conversation. Yeah, it's been great. Thank, thank you. you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. Again, thank you for joining us today. This podcast is brought to you by the PRX Podcast Garage. Their community hours program gives studio time and training to Boston nonprofits developing a podcast. Learn more at podcastgarage.org. Please rate, review, and subscribe to Outspoken Voices. You can find Outspoken Voices on our website, SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, and wherever you get your podcasts. You can find Family Equality Council at familyequality.org and on Facebook and Instagram at Family Equality and on Twitter at Family underscore Equality. Until next time. Remember that love, justice, family, and equality is what brings our families together.